So it's kind of funny. I was I was just getting ready to say <coughs> before I looked up and saw your hand that we just sang a song that said, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you, right? So if I had this cup full of uh, tea, which would be a crime, but <laughs> if it was full of tea and I wanted coffee in it, what would I have to do with the tea? I'd have to pour it out. When we talk about wanting more of God, wanting more of God, wanting more of God, well, generally speaking, that means something's got to go. You know, I need less Steve and more Jesus. But here comes a paradigm I don't think we think about sometimes. There's an infinite supply of Jesus. Right? Think about it. I only got so much coffee over there I could make, right? Eventually, we'd run out of coffee, and we'd have to make a giant run or whatever, right? Jesus doesn't run out, which means if I'm a clean vessel, if I'm a vessel ready to receive, there's an infinite supply of Jesus that can come, an infinite supply of Jesus. I can't get full of Jesus. You get it? Because I think we actually enlarge our capacity for more of him and more of the Holy Spirit. And over time, as we grow and as we continue to get filled by him, we get stretched and we get fuller and we get bigger and we get our capacity expands. Can I tell you, the world needs some more expanding capacity Jesus vessels. So again, I ask you, you know, we sing a song, I want more of you, I want more of you, do we? Some of us like some of the stuff that we have to get rid of, right? Let's face it, some of us have things in our lives we're not ready to give up yet. We know we should. But we might not be giving it up for a lot of reasons. There might be things in our lives that that we like, but they still need to go. There might be things in our lives that we don't like, but at least we know them, so I'm comfortable with it. And change is scary, right? But I'll stand here in front of you this morning, and I will make this declaration. I had to pause there and think a minute, but it's true. Every single thing that I have given up that the Holy Spirit in Jesus has refilled in my life, I haven't missed it. Not once. Not once. And so I share that as a testimony. If there's something in your life that's got to go, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. <laughs> well, I'm trying to decide if I should preach this sermon now, or if I should just talk. No, I'm going to preach. Last week we talked about oneness. Oh, there's notes. I'm sorry. I, I put them back there, and then the kids get downstairs, and I don't have my built-in passer outers. <laughs> so uh, 
I guess I do have a built-in passer router. Her name's Sandy. <laughs> Unity. Oneness. So how many of you got mad at me for saying unity wasn't important <laughs> last week? I am like super excited about this idea of oneness rather than unity. And last week I, I talked about um, one plus one plus one equals what? One, not three, right? So Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us to be one with him. He didn't pray for us to have power. He didn't pray for us to have protection. He didn't pray for us to have successful ministries. He didn't pray for us to, to, uh, to have healing and deliverance ministries. He prayed for us to be one with him. Because out of that oneness flows everything else. And you all know I was pretty excited last week. Talking about God the Father and Jesus and Jesus and me and me and Jesus. And the fact that when we are one with Jesus, when my relationship with Jesus is restored, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I become a new creation. I become something new. The way that we are brought into complete oneness here, the way that we are brought into complete unity here, is when we are in oneness here. Our foundation, our, the core thing that draws us together in oneness is Jesus. Not that we like this kind of church, not that we like living in Chambersburg, not that we like the worship, not, no. The one thing that draws us together is our oneness in Jesus. That has to be our starting place. And if you remember my de- description last week, Unity equals two people agreeing to be one. Oneness equals two people actually becoming one. We can agree to be one on all, a whole host of different things. right? We can come together in unity and do something, do things together. But to become actually one, choosing to be actually one, actually becoming one, that's oneness. So this week, so th- this week, so I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to, sort of talk on this a few weeks. This week we're going to talk about how do I become one with God? What are some practical steps that I can take that that helps me to become one with God? And those of you who've been around for a while, these are things that you've heard me talk about before, um, some of these concepts. Um, Next week we'll probably talk about what keeps us from from becoming one. What are things that are broken in our lives? What are things we need to work on? Um, We'll probably talk about how we come together as a body then, spiritual gifts and those kinds of things. So this whole oneness idea we're going to talk about for at least a month, uh, I'm thinking. Actually, next week, we won't do that. Uh, guys, men, everybody look here, all the men. Mother's Day is next Sunday. Okay. <laughs> Just remind you. So next Sunday, we'll, we'll probably talk about mothers or something. Maybe Who knows? The Holy Spirit might give me a oneness sermon for Mother's Day. Who knows? It could be fun. So... So how do we get this right so that this can be right? So there's, there's some things that we need to understand. And number one that I think you really need to remember is it's a process. It's a journey, okay? It's a process. So how did Sandy and I become one, right? It's the easy answer would be we got married, right? The two shall become one. That's, that's the easy answer. But if you look a little bit closer, how we actually became one 
you have to see that it was a journey, all right? How did that journey begin? Okay, here it is. I'll tell you the story. Hey, Ed, what's that girl's name? Oh, that's Sandy. She's the sister of my girlfriend, Patty. Really? That means you could, like, introduce us, right? So, hey, I'm Steve. I'm Sandy. We went out on our first date, right? You guys have heard me talk about a first date. I'm glad we had a radio. I ran out of questions to ask because she was giving me one-word answers. I wasn't getting much information from her, right? So, so then... So then it progressed a little bit farther. You know, we went out on a second date. Next thing you know, I was meeting her family. She was meeting my family. We were going to, you know, holidays together. And next thing you know, I asked her to marry me. And she said no. True story. <laughs> so we dated a little bit longer, and I asked her to marry me again. She said no. True story. If I'm anything, I'm tenacious. <laughs> I asked her a third time. She said, go ask my, pa- go ask my father. So I did. She said yes. And we became one. But you understand, it wasn't, like I wasn't getting out on one knee and asking her to marry me that first night I found out what her name was, right? There was a process. What did we do? We got to know each other. We spent time together. We talked. We learned about each other. We learned things that we liked and things that we didn't like. And that's how you become one. One of the reasons why I don't think we're one with God or one with Jesus is we really don't know him. We haven't spent a lot of time with him. It comes down to something as simple as this. If you want to be one with Jesus, if you want to be one with God, you've got to spend time with him. You've got to hang out with him. Why were the disciples always with Jesus? Because they were becoming one with him. They were getting to know him. So I'm going to talk this morning about spiritual disciplines. How many of you like the word Discipline. Nobody put their hand up. Oh, wait, some, some people. Some people like discipline. You know, we have to discipline ourselves in a lot of areas of life. But some of us don't like the word discipline. But you know what? I'm going to use it, and you're going to like it. <clears throat> Sorry. Dad. Why do we need spiritual disciplines? Here's the deal. Pastor Ken Hebner used to say to me all the time, and he would say it in front of the congregation. This is the pastor we had years ago. He would say, there are no shortcuts to a close relationship with God. There are no shortcuts. Okay? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you in the room feel like you're slightly overweight? How many of you, if you feel like you're slightly overweight, could say, you know what? I could go out right now and run a 5K without stopping. probably uh, there's probably some of us in the room that could do that right like kenny rides his bike like six thousand miles a day or something but so but the rest of us we'd have to work up to it right it's the same way with our spiritual walk we have to exercise our spiritual muscles that's what spiritual discipline is all right so it takes time it takes commitment so i'm going to touch on three things this morning that i believe helps us exercise our spiritual muscles. It helps us get into a discipline, and those disciplines lead us into a closer relationship with God. All right? The first one is this. What is this? A Bible. One of you knew what it was. Okay. A mini phone book. It could be. So the Bible, the Word of God. A couple things about it. 2 Timothy 3.16 
and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That sounds like fun, right? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed. So the Greek words here for God-breathed is divinitas inspirata. It means divinely breathed into. So here's the deal. So the Bible, God took the, the words that we have contained in this book, and he breathed them out of his essence, who he was, and into those who were going to write it down for us, the authors. So it was God-breathed. The source of the Bible is God's essence, God's heart. It came directly from him. You guys with me on that? The second thing I want us to see here is Hebrews 4.12. Did I give you that one? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The second thing here is the word of God is alive. And it's not just a living thing. It is active. It works. It does things. It penetrates deep. It reveals the truth. It shows us our hearts. When we read it, when we meditate on it, it allows the heart of God to sink deeply into us. Active. So where does one start? I had someone, I led someone to Christ one time and, and uh, I said, so you need to start reading scripture. You know, this is, this is one of our quickest and easiest resources, all right, to see the heart of God and to learn about him. So a week later, I got back together with him and I said, how's it going? And he's like, uh, uh, this is a really big book. <laughs> There's like a really a lot of words in there. And so I thought, you know what? I need to start giving some direction here, right? So now what I do is I start people in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Because it tells the story of Jesus. And I think Jesus is a great place for us to start. The interesting thing about the four Gospels is these are four different authors from four different perspectives of the same story. They're given four different uh, viewpoints of the early life of Jesus. One of the things I like about the Gospels is their sameness. And one of the things I like about their, the Gospels is their differences. There's a lot of sameness, and there's a lot of difference in the Gospels. But I think it's a prime example of how the Word of God was breathed out of God's heart and into different men with different personalities, different backgrounds, and they can tell the same story, and you can learn something from each one of them. I think it's important here to note that when we're looking at something like the Gospels, oneness with God doesn't mean I become a robot. It doesn't mean I lose all of Steve's characteristics. Right? God created each one of us different. He gifted each one of us different. We have different personalities. We have different passions in our heart for different things. That doesn't all go away when we're one with Jesus. And the Gospels are a perfect example of that. So one of the things we need to look at when we're looking at the Gospels, or even the Scripture in general, is 
the early first century Christians, they were storytellers, all right? They told stories. They had an oral type of communication. And so they remember great detail about what happened and what was going on. So if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know what they don't do? They don't define theology. They're not going in there and saying, this is what Jesus said, and this is what it means, and breaking it down like Paul did, right? They were just telling the story. Here's what happened. Here's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus, when he was, when he was out teaching, you never heard him say, okay, now, write this down. What you heard Jesus say was, listen, hear what I'm going to say. There's a difference. These guys saw the big picture. Now, you often hear me talk about reading between the lines. Like, I love to read Bible stories. And, like, stories about Jesus, for example, I I try to kind of picture the scene. You know, how many of you read books and you do that? Right? If you read a novel, you kind of kind of get caught up if the, if the author's really good sort of sucks you in and you you feel like you're actually there you're part of the story well that's what the guys were doing in the gospels like if you're like it's almost like you can he- you can hear the goats and you can hear the sheep and you can hear the around if you if you kind of fill in the blanks with your head these guys were storytellers now another thing we need to remember is when we're reading scripture we have to remember who the author was, and who the audience was. So the Gospels, let's look at them for example. How many of you have ever read the beginning of Matthew? What's at the beginning of Matthew? Who can tell me? The genealogy of Jesus. So Matthew is saying Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah, and his brothers Judah and father... And he goes all the way down to to, to Jesus. Why do you think Matthew was doing that? Matthew was doing that because his audience was Jews. And he was saying, here's proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's the genealogy. And he went all the way back to Abraham. And so that's why Matthew starts out right there. He's saying, you know what? Jews, listen up. Jesus is the Messiah. So then we get to Mark. Well, Mark was a storyteller. He wasn't very organized, but he told a great story. I love that. He's like my favorite. I'm not very organized, but I can tell you a story. But I I like Mark. But he did more about recounting what Jesus did than what Jesus taught. If you read the book of Mark, you, you hear stories about Jesus and what he was doing. And he recounts a lot of miracles that were happening. And so it's kind of neat that you see that. Luke, early on, gives his purpose for writing in Luke 1, 1 through 4. Did I give you those verses? No. So he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So he talks about the eyewitnesses, and then he says, I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So what's the personality that's like real, the perfectionist and the, like I have one of them living, I have two of them living in my house, actually. And it's like everything has to be orderly and, you know, and that's, that's what Luke was like. He was a doctor. And he says, you know what, I'm going to write down an orderly account so that everybody knows, all right? 
carefully investigated this. I recorded all these events down so that you know. And that appeals to other people. How many people in the room does that appeal to? Yeah, a number of you. You see where I'm going with this? All the same story, different authors, but it's appealing to different people. We're getting this. John, I absolutely love John. John was written primarily for the Greeks, the Gentiles. Um, the book of John is very evangelistic. Um, and in my opinion, John really brings about the humanity of Jesus. You see the human side of Jesus, which is really cool. So why did I go through all that? I went through all that to say this. The writer's personality, the writer's perspective, the writer's audience shapes the telling of the story. But it's all the same story inspired by the Holy Spirit. We can trust it. The Holy Spirit's influence guided each one of these writers. The last thing I'll say about the Bible is this. This is authoritative. This is the authority. What do I mean by that? I mean that if something contradicts Scripture, if an idea contradicts Scripture, if someone says they heard something from the Lord and it contradicts Scripture, my guess is they didn't hear it from the Lord. (laughs) Scripture is the final word. Here's an example. I think I told Paul this yesterday. Something said something like this. I said, if, if, if you hear a voice telling you to go steal your neighbor's car and feed someone that's hungry, my guess is it probably wasn't the Lord telling you to do that. Why? Because this says don't steal. Right? This is the authority. So if you're hearing something you think is from the Lord and it contradicts this, it's, you better check again. All right? We believe the Bible is authoritative. All right. Second tool, developing oneness with God. Prayer. We did it this morning. The problem is a lot of times I think we look at prayer and we develop a formula that it has to be the proper way or the proper person doing the prayer. Right? You have no idea how many times I'm asked to pray in public settings. Who can tell me why? Because I'm a pastor. Somehow my prayers carry more weight or something. No. Not so much, right? Not so much. The thing is, every human being has the capacity to speak to and hear from God. You don't have to be an earthly priest. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to go to your pastor or your priest as a go-between. You have direct access to God himself. Hebrews, 14 and six, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our go-between. And the cool thing about this verse is, this passage right here is, he knows how we feel. How many times have you ever talked to somebody and they have no idea what you're going through? And so it's hard to have sympathy and empathy for you. 
But it says that Jesus knows what we, what we go through. He can empathize with us. He can sympathize with us. And this verse tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand, or Jesus is with God in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand. And so it says we can approach boldly with confidence. To be honest, I'm getting tired of wimpy prayers. I'm getting tired of I'm getting tired of us praying things and and really not knowing if they're going to happen or not. Or you guys heard me talk about this was it last week or a couple weeks ago? Prayers in the New Testament they prayed for they prayed with confidence. When they prayed for somebody to be healed, they prayed as if it was going to happen. We need to approach boldly. Approach boldly. couple things in the context of becoming one with God. When we approach boldly, now hear me, this is not my time to tell God how things ought to happen. Okay? Some of you have heard me use this example before. When a great big ship pulls up to the dock and they throw ropes out and they grab them on the dock... Does the ship get pulled to the shore or does the shore get pulled to the ship? Right? The ship gets pulled to the shore. See, that's what prayer is. When I'm talking with God, it's my opportunity to get pulled closer to Him, not to pull Him closer to me. When I pray, I want what He wants, not what I want. Yes, I'm approaching boldly, but I'm approaching boldly because I want to know what His heart is. I want to know what He wants done. Prayer is a direct line to the heart of God. How do we do that? (laughs) We listen. He does most of the talking. That brings me to my second point. Yes, God speaks to us. Yes, we can hear His voice. Time and time again in Scripture, we see human beings having actual conversations with God. Example after example of people, know, people knowing the voice of God. And because there's so many voices in the world, there's so many, so many things telling us, so many people telling us what we should and shouldn't do, sometimes it's difficult for us to recognize God's voice. And there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that tells us how we go about focusing on God's voice or knowing what God's voice is. Hebrews 12, 1-2a. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I want to stop there. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is really, really important. Okay, It's important that we are properly focused on on Jesus. If we were to look at the original Greek here, it literally means my entire 100% of my focus is aimed at Jesus. He is the center of my attention. Let me give you an example. A lot of you have heard me talk about my father. He was a very, very accomplished marksman. He won all kinds of championships. 
won all kinds of awards. He has like an entire wall in his basement that's medals and trophies and ribbons and all the stuff that he won for shooting. My dad, I would say, is an expert at shooting. Okay? So when I was a boy, my father taught me how to shoot. And when he taught me how to shoot a gun, he was like, there's only one thing you need to focus on. How many of you have ever heard of a sight picture? Any of you? So a sight picture. Dad drew out on a piece of paper, when you look down the end of the barrel of that gun at the target, here's what you should see. And so you had the, the back sights, you had the front sight, you had the target off in the distance, and he, would, he drew out this, this picture of what it ought to be. And he said, now, this is the picture. When you're looking, you need to concentrate, and everything else in the whole wide world needs to disappear but that sight picture. That right there. Everything else should fade away. And Dad would tell me when he would be shooting, like when he would be holding the, the pistol out and he would be shooting, everything around it was fuzzy, except for the, tar- except for the sight picture. That's the only thing he could see. Mentally, his brain was focused only on the sights. He was thinking about them. He would sometimes wear blinders, as a matter of fact. Sometimes he would even cover an eye and just look through the one eye when he would shoot in competition. Even sounds would fade away. My dad told me that there were times where he was so focused he could hear his heart beating in between shots as he would shoot. Now that's focused. What happens when you are focused that intently on a target? You hit it. Usually, if your gun's in good working order and you hit the target. So when we pray, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, as I'm learning to recognize his voice, he needs to be my focus. My heart needs to be focused on him. I need to exercise my focus muscle. (laughs) Because sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we don't, it's hard to focus. It's hard to concentrate for that long but we begin to learn what his voice sounds like, what it feels like. Now here's the deal. Rarely will we hear God's voice audibly. Sometimes we will, but not always. But sometimes we'll feel impressions on our heart. Sometimes we'll feel like we need to pray for somebody or we need to call somebody and check out how they're doing. Sometimes you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll have somebody's face in your mind. You know what you should do? Pray for them. Because that might be God prompting you to pray for them. It might be a gut feeling. And you need to practice listening. What's that feel like? What, how is this different from the pizza that I ate last night? <laughs> we have to get quiet in His presence. We need to be honest and speak to Him. And I'm convinced that hearing God's voice shouldn't be an odd, only happen once in a while kind of thing. We should hear God's voice regularly. Regularly. The last thing I'm going to talk about, and I'll do this quickly. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to any, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. 
So here's the deal. The early church, the disciples, they hung out. It says they had everything in common. There's a word here, homothumidin. It literally means they were passionate about being one. They were impassioned about being unified. Impassionate about relationships. They understood the importance of coming together. What did they do when they came together? Number one, they cared for one another's needs. They took care of each other. How do I know what your needs are if I can't see them? You've got to tell me, right? So they shared, they served. The second thing is they discussed the apostles' teaching. I'm going to guess they argued the theology of the apostles. What do you think about what Paul said, or what John said? I don't know. What do you think? Well, Matthew said something way out there the other day. What do you think about that? And they talked about it. They discussed it. They bounced it off of each other. They worked things out. When we get together, here's the deal. In a body this size, we have a lot of people hearing from the Lord. Right? But even, hear me say this. I might be the pastor, but I don't have the whole picture. Right? There might be things that someone else reads out of Scripture. You know, I might get with Jeff, and we might sit down, and, and I'll read a passage of Scripture to him and tell him what I got out of it. And he'll go, well, you know what else I got out of it? Because he's seeing a little different part of the picture. So we talk about it. Together we see the complete picture. Number three, they held each other accountable. You've heard me talk about blind spots before. In your car, when you're looking in the mirror, what can't you see? Can't see your blind spot, right? Here, come stand behind me. Hold, hold up some fingers. <laughs> so I'm going to say she had two fingers up. Now, would I have known that without your help? No. Okay. See, there are things that we don't see, right? I don't know how many fingers she was holding up until you guys helped me, right? That's how we do in relationships, right? I see into your blind spots. You see into my blind spots. You see your wife making a fool of you by doing this behind. You, you know what I'm saying? Though? We, that's, how we, that's part of relationships, Right? We're able to speak into blind spots. The fourth thing about the fellowship of believers is they carried out Jesus' direction to go into all the world, preach the gospel. They went out and spread the gospel together as one. They were making disciples. So, how do we develop oneness with God? We spend time in His Word, we pray. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We learn to hear his voice. And then we develop relationships with other believers. We learn from each other as we walk through life. That's not an exhaustive list, but I think those three are pretty important. So this week, I'm going to challenge you. If you're sitting here and you say, you know what, the last time I picked up my Bible... Well, it was last Sunday to carry it to church. I'm going to challenge you. Open it up. If you haven't read Scripture in a while, start reading Matthew. <coughs> then go to Mark. Then go to Luke. Then go to John. And after that, go to Matthew. And then go to Mark. And then go to Luke. And then go to John. And when you're finished with John, go to Matthew. And Mark and Luke and John. And do that a few times. Fix your eyes on Jesus for a little while. If you feel like you don't know how to pray, 
Just start talking to God. Can I promise you? He knows it anyways. Just have a conversation with him. It's funny, you guys heard me, some of you heard me talk about Marsha one time. She's not here this morning, so I can talk about her. But she was saying to me, I don't want to pray in front of the church because I don't pray good prayers like you. I'm like, what? And then the next thing out of her mouth was, yeah, I was driving up over a hill and over Air Hill, and God said this, and I was talking back to God, and I was telling him this. Marsha, do you know what you're doing? You're praying, all right? It's a conversation. Talk to God. And this morning, we had some fellowship time. We had some relationship building. Some of us with people we probably haven't met before. I encourage that. Oneness this way will create oneness this way, I promise you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of the Word of God. Thank you for the gift of the Bible. Thank you for the gift of Jesus that makes it possible for us to approach the the throne boldly. Thank you that we are equipped. Every one of us is equipped with the ability to hear you. And thank you for this body called the spring. I pray that relationships here would be deepening and strengthening. That we would get to know each other. That we would be bold in looking into one another's blind spots. We would learn from each other. Thank you, Lord, for wanting to be one with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go be one.